This week on the show, we have DRK29, founder of Outer Heaven Network, a Twitch channel dedicated to Metal Gear and Kojima games since 2009. I'm sure I'll piss a lot of people off. Hell yes, I'm ready for it. You're not doing it right if you're not pissing somebody off. <laughs> yeah. This whole week, I've been off of social media when I've been on the clock, right? And so by the time I got to my phone on Discord on like Monday, they were like, oh, yeah, like DRK, you know, that guy, he also messaged us and he wants to come on. And we we booked him. I was like, yo, do you know what you might have just done? <laughs> and I didn't mean that in like as like an indictment on anything. I just like. I mean, you you can talk about it, but... I'm just going to say, I think we're going to agree a lot, because I saw your tier list, and I was like, all right, all right, yeah, this is okay. <laughs> I don't really have any anything to say about it. <laughs> all right, cool, I have the correct opinion. <laughs> <laughs> it's very important to have the correct opinion. Too many people out there have the wrong opinions. <laughs> I'm Fingers. Hey everyone, this is Days Ahead. And I'm Nitroid. You're listening to the Kojima Frequency. Mm, but in all seriousness, I do believe that it's important to have an informed opinion. Now let's make a distinction between, you know, obviously when we're just joking when we say correct opinion. You can you can feel however you want if you have the information. Otherwise, part of the reason that I stream is I want to get the information out there. You yeah. know how many people we get yeah. that I explain like things about Raiden's origin or, you know, I'm just fours depression and everything. And then like, oh, I never thought of it. Oh, I never noticed, but now that you mention it. So it's nice to kind of open the door to, to some people's um, views on the series. They don't have to necessarily agree with me, of course, but it's nice to get the word out there. Look, this was done probably because Kojima felt this way about this and that. And they're like, oh, I had no idea. And at it's one getting... point... Yeah. Go ahead. Um, sorry. Uh, so at one point, I was also like that. But back when I started streaming, I started streaming now, oh, 11 years ago, late 2009. Um, I didn't have myself quite a complete view of the series as well. And I just thought, you know, just take whatever comes out of, um, Konami, uh, releases and whatnot, just accept it for what it is. And when people used to ask me, what's your favorite Metal Gear? I said, oh, I don't know. I just think of it as one continuous, you know, timeline or story that just, just one continuous thing, like a movie with multiple sequels to just one story i can't pick a favorite and then through the community through streaming through doing research finding interviews listening to making ofs and whatnot and meeting a lot of not important but um because admittedly i didn't meet a lot of people on the production side of the series but a lot of interesting people who had things to share and did their research um i've come to appreciate the whole thing differently and look at the games differently and i definitely have favorites it's good that you're doing that too, because it's um, it's getting really, really hard to find older information these days, uh, and the Internet Archive is only going to take you so far. I mean, we're kind of yeah, we're well past the age of fan sites, and it's pretty much 
you know, official websites that haven't taken articles down, uh, official, um, you know, social media accounts, large gaming news blogs who may have written an article and didn't take it down and the Internet Archive, if you're lucky. And that's it. Oh, and, and the Metal Gear Wiki. <laughs> <laughs> Always reliable. Yeah. The, for example, Kojima's blog uh, obviously got taken down from Konami's website. There's mirrors of it, I believe, but it's not as easy to tell people, look, go look for this thing on Konami's website anymore. And actually, one of the first things that really prompted me to, to do research and to get more invested in this was um, one of the articles from the Snake Soup. I always have to sort of thank the, the guys over at Snake Soup for getting me initiated in getting into the, the rabbit hole. Shout out Snake Soup. What article was it? I believe, I, I don't remember the exact title. I'm putting but, you on the spot, sorry. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I haven't gone back to it in ages now, but it was definitely a Metal Gear Solid 2 related article. Um, and also, I don't know if you guys remember, probably seen it, there was uh, a picture floating around, I think V on 4chan, uh, that had the big like, ah, and the picture of Raiden in the middle, um, which basically briefly described that Kojima was disappointed all of his fans really just wanted to be action heroes and cared about playing a snake. Uh, that picture really resonated with me and got me into doing research as well. And as for the Snake Soup article, oh boy, I couldn't tell you the exact title. Yeah, you're putting, I should have prepared this. Um, <laughs> you're good. But yeah, I, I'm curious now. It was definitely an MGS2 related article, a Raiden related article. They did have that video they did. Um, oh man, what was the name of that video special that they put out about Metal Gear Solid 2? I can't remember. But they had this this sort of like, I think it was like 15, 20 minutes long, sort of a, you know, long form analysis on Metal Gear Solid 2. The reality of Metal Gear Solid 2? Yeah, that's it. Yeah. That's it. That's that's what I remember. But you're talking about an article. Uh, yeah, I would have to dig a little deeper. I mean, there's, they've got analysis going on there. I, I'm actually kind of looking. Oh, you know what? I'm trying to click some links right now. And like you're saying, they're, some of them are gone. Yeah, short of the archives, it's really difficult to find a lot of old materials. And, and you know, it's also a matter of a lot of the times when people would have conversations about these things and they would share what they know and where they found it, those conversations were happening in forums that are completely gone now. For me, it was the, uh, the myth articles. That's what got me on the site. I think I remember looking them up uh, for the, it was like the, the hair conversation with if Solid Snake's hair was brown or blonde in the uh, briefing. Oh, yeah. Oh, right. The, the myth article. That, yeah. Because Shinkawa made an offhanded comment one time and everybody yeah. took it seriously. Yep. So there's an article called Metal Gear Solid 2, Get Over It. Oh, yeah, that's, uh, I just linked it. <laughs> oh, oh, you did? Oh. <laughs> yeah, that sounds about right. <laughs> and I also link that article about Snake's hair collar all the time. You wouldn't believe how many people believe that Snake dyed his hair at the end of the briefing and I'm just one when he yeah. specifically just asked for scissors. Lighting. Because it's got a color filter and people don't understand yeah. color oh, filters yeah. apparently. <laughs> yeah, I've had to 
explain why is his hair blonde? You know, we get all these people coming in and saying, why is his hair blonde? Yeah. Like, because you wouldn't be able to see anything if it wasn't. Yeah, I've had that argument many a time on the Solid Snake page, and I just, I just link them to that article just every time. It's like, I'm just going to not waste time here, and just, here you go. So I'm thankful for the snake suit for sure. Oh, yeah. Some of their MGS4 articles as well. Actually, we had a, a lot of fun on stream doing the BNB story generator where you can just change the name, the location, and the animal and create your own B&B story. <laughs> and we had people on stream like coming up with, with things that I will not repeat here. But yeah. So I wanted to ask you a question. Uh, this is our 29th episode. And you mentioned to me that the number 29 holds some significance for you. Can you tell me like, what, what is that? Oh, it's nothing too special. It's just that I have 29 in my nickname, obviously. Um, and you know how most people like... Oh, put right. Their, yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's uh, the obvious yeah. one, but... <laughs> Catch that nitro. I'm having, I, I'm having a day, okay? Yeah, I was going to ask that, but in a way, I was going to be like, why have you had, like, 29 in your name? I've, yeah, I've been uh, watching for That X would be long. the better question. Yeah. Okay, so people always put the, their birth year in their, like, emails or nicknames, right? Uh, I was not born in 1929. However, I sort of broke away from that and put the day instead of the year. So I'm also currently 29 years old. And I was born on August 29th, which is dangerously close to Kojima's birthday, actually. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so that's really all there is to it. But, you know, it started becoming a little bit of a joke. Like people come in and say, what did you do with the other 28? There are K's. Um, so, yeah, I, 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 just a little coincidence that I noticed Three Dogs episode was number 28. And like, yeah, that'd be cool if I could get 29th episode. Well, we're happy to accommodate. Yeah, that's, that's actually amazing that you guys got me on board so quickly. Uh, I did not well, expect it. <laughs> funny enough, it was kind of like retroactively good timing um, because Nitroid did that whole thread about proto versus meta fans and That's then great yeah timing. it seemed like yeah it seemed like you two really bounced off of those ideas or those concepts rather yeah you've been you've been talking about this whole proto meta thing for years now nitro I, I i know like we've we've had that conversation many times yeah and you know i haven't said much about it because i wasn't sure if it was lame or not you know <laughs> I've you always like, thought okay, it's been this? like your like thesis, man. I, I've been like, man, that's actually a pretty good way to like look at this series and at least like how the fandom engages in it, you know? Yeah, and you know, I don't think it applies in many other areas, but like specifically Metal Gear. And and just to be clear, because I've seen some pushback on it because they're like, well, you can appreciate both and and not like only like one. Or the, like that's not the point. No, <laughs> of course, it's yeah. the the point is that this is a sliding scale for your personal preference on what you find more interesting if you're if you find them equally interesting then you've got the the slider in the middle you know it's it's a gradient of sorts so it's like sexuality um, sorry right <laughs> <laughs> keep going i'm a i'm so, a metasexual y'all i was like moderate i was right in the middle when i took the snake soups little quiz so i don't know Oh, yeah, I meant to take that. Proto gang. So for anybody who doesn't know what I'm talking about, um, the premise is this. Uh, I have a theory that there are two approaches to enjoying Metal Gear that fans tend to have. 
by no means an absolute, this is just my pet theory, that there are what we're going to call proto-fans and meta-fans. Proto-fans tend to like the story more literally, at, at face value. They like the characters, the plot, uh, all of these narrative elements for narrative's sake. Uh, and, you know, it's not so much about the metaphors or the symbolism or the meta-narratives. It's, it's more like we like the story. We, like, we want to know what happens to our favorite characters. Um, the meta-fans are less interested in the literal aspects and more interested in the meta-narrative aspects, the symbolic aspects. Like, what ideas are, are being explored here? What's Kojima trying to say about whatever topic he's getting in on, you know, whether it's whether it's society or whether it's his fan base or his history with the franchise, like those are more interesting. So some people are are dead smack in the middle. I kind of lean into the meta side. Like that's more interesting to me. And the, and the plot stuff kind of loses me at times, you know, um, I didn't say this in the thread on Twitter, but I'll say it here. Um, if, we had to make an assumption as to where Kojima would sit on this scale. Given his regular disregard for his own canon. And the fact that he's very open about that. Like he will just straight up say, yeah, I changed some details because I wanted to write something else. Uh, I would say he kind of leans into the meta more, but maybe that's not for me to say. What do you, what do you guys think? I mean, for me, like the as a as a proto, uh, you know, I, I think the uh, protosexual. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> why are you making it sexual? All right, uh, <laughs> making it weird. Yeah, I it mean, just it rolls off the tongue. Yeah, protosexual, metasexual. I guess. Oh wow! How how to scare off like your heroes in two weeks? I think the uh, the story does all like come together in a way that you know it all works. I mean, he's yeah. There's there's been tons of retcons and like we've talked about before, survive retcon itself. But uh, I don't know. He you know he wasn't involved in that. But uh, I don't know. It, it all makes all the canon stuff lines up for me. I, you know, I think the retcons that he did didn't like the the one thing that for me uh, was like the Gray Fox era, like when Big Boss met him and stuff. Like apparently some of that was just completely changed around. But uh, the rest of it's there. There's there's some stuff, you know, it's 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 funny because I know that we're speaking to this from like a, a narrative perspective, you know, talking about sort of the, the meta themes versus like what you kind of see on the screen, if you will. And in some ways, I kind of see that parallel to like the actual gameplay in a sense that I find that the I'm not going to say it, the meta people, the meta people, um, they seem to call out some of the more critical gameplay moments or the, the meta gameplay moments as like their memorable aspects of the series. Like, you know, like how like Psychomantis reads your memory card or how like, you know, you playing Raiden is supposed to be a message about, you know, finding your own way. Um, whereas I find like the proto folks, uh, I noticed that they tend to be the folks that are like, hey, you know, look how comprehensive this stealth gameplay is, for example. Um, and obviously, you know, my experience might be different from others. It's not, you know, the end all be all. This conversation is not the end all be all. But once you kind of get that thought in your head about like meta versus proto, 
It's it's almost like uh, you know when you're a hammer, everything you see is a nail. Like once you get nitrate theories in your head, yep, you apply it to everything in the fandom. Imagine being in my head, you know, just you don't you don't want to do that. So that was actually one of the questions that was asked to me in one of my interviews. Do you feel that you accrue meaning to things that don't necessarily have as much meaning, uh, just because, like you said, when when you're a hammer, everything is a nail. Um, and I had to say, uh, probably because there's a lot of unexplored territory and we can't quite get into Kojima's mind 100%. We have these little tids, bits of, um, interviews and things that he said and written and, you know, lots of interviews in Texas still needs to be translated even from, from Japanese and, uh, things like the MGS2 grand game plan. Um, so we, tend to pattern after the things that we do know are there for a reason. Uh, but especially this happens a lot with MGS2, we start to look at things in a way that, oh, is this supposed to be a call back to MGS1 events, for example, or is it just a coincidence? Uh, example, Snake accidentally activating the C4 that kills Stillman, right? Uh, is that supposed to be a call back to Snake accidentally activating Rex when he thought it was disabling it? It doesn't quite fit in the context, but it's one of the thoughts that I, that came up to me because I started looking and then just those patterns of repeating things from MGS1. Um, it doesn't fit as much because Snake's not the player anymore and it's, it's a little different, he, but he's, you know, what he still thought he was turning something off when he was actually <laughs> enabling it. Um, because apparently having an on-off switch in Rex was too expensive. Um, <laughs> and, and so <laughs> there are definitely things that are not confirmed. And we will never quite get into Kojima's mind. But we can we can pattern things and tell people about what we do know for sure. And then the, that's the fun part of it is look at it yourself and compare what you see, what, you, what your opinions are. Uh, but for me, for this whole pro proto versus meta thing, I don't think that Kojima even stopped for a second, with maybe the exception of MGS4, you think about the events of the story rather than I want to put this event in the game because I feel like this and I want to interpret it and I want to portray it in this way. So... Uh, like Nightford said, maybe it's not for us to say. I don't claim to get into Kojima's mind perfectly and understand him correctly. But from the feeling that I've been getting with all the things that are disregarded in the story, all the things that are there as commentary of how Kojima was feeling at the time and don't necessarily make a lot of sense in terms of um, what I call it is like a spy movie, for example, of you know, rescuing the hostages, saving the world. Certainly that's the context that things are portrayed in, but it's not perhaps the face value story is not that great if you don't take into account why things are crazy. Because I see a lot of people disliking MGS2's story, for example, and that's perfectly understandable if you start thinking of it as just this badass spy movie that it kind of fails to be, but that's the point. Yeah, it doesn't make sense if you take it at face value. It absolutely 
needs that additional layer or it doesn't make sense. This is a series that like builds on itself the more you play it for sure. And like that's that's every time you replay it, you know, you're going to definitely notice something a little different just because your perspective on things will be like shifted a little bit. Like just me seeing this new thing that bad humans posted with the Uroboros and the turtle with the world on its shell. Like I, I know you had seen that before Nitro, but I'd never seen that. And that, you know, that just puts like a whole, you know, different context on stuff. You know, I'm trying to find a tweet that somebody made. I wish I could find it because it sort of touched on something you said, DRK. It was um, how much of what we're interpreting is just chasing ghosts, you know, because M MGS2, it's fairly easy to pick up uh, on what it's trying to say, what it's trying to go for. And that's helped in large part because much of it's been confirmed. You know, there. You know, it's 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 um the most obviously meta of of the titles. Would you would you agree with that? Absolutely, yes. Um, and so that sort of set a precedent that I wonder if fans have kind of latched onto that may not always be there. So when you know most people are going to play Metal Gear Solid, most people who are tuned into the meta in Metal Gear Solid Two will then play Metal Gear Solid 3 and and it's it's fairly obvious that it's not as heavy on the meta as 2 was. I mean there are elements there, but it's it's significantly dialed back. I would say it's a lot more like on the nose too and when they do yeah. it. It's like right. yeah, more like winking at the camera with it. Um and then, you know, 4 is is just a, a rabbit hole uh to get into because it's it's very heavy on the meta uh you know, to the fault of the narrative, even. And, you know, like, like, okay, here's the, here's an example of what I mean. Um, Peace Walker. Uh, something I've, I've, I tend to think myself and I've heard other people say is that Peace Walker, in a way, feels like Kojima himself making peace with the series after MGS4 and sort of learning to have fun with it again. But there's nothing necessarily in the game that indicates that. There's nothing in any interviews that indicates that. It's just a feeling. So, like, how much of it, how much of these interpretations are valid versus how much, like, you, like, you know, I'm, I'm essentially just paraphrasing what you've already said, which is, you know, how much of it it's real and how much of it is just perceived that we're sort of just putting out there and, and projecting from our own views. Yeah, but do we perceive enough that we can create patterns? Because when I talk about all the central themes of each game, which I really tell, always tell people all the time, I wish these words were like in the title logo for each game so that people would start wondering why why is this word here why is gene m just one and meme m just two and scene m just three you know um and sense m just four and then obviously peace walker is peace um i want people to start wondering i tell people if you want to start doing research on what's you know in the rabbit hole for this series start by looking at each of these words and understand what they mean and how they relate to Kojima's state of mind for each game that he developed. And that's a good entry point. There are those directors too that like, it's like everything they do is intentional. It's like every little detail and every little, you know, and like then fans notice it years later and they're like, yeah, that was on purpose. And like Kojima is such a, a person to do things like that, you know, especially with all his ruses in the past and just the links that he's gone with stuff. It's like... If there's any if there's any series to go down a rabbit hole, this is definitely a good one to be, you know, speculative yeah. about. But then he'll do things like the the flames behind Solidus when he accelerates uh right before the Harrier fight. 
And there's no meaning there other, you know, he'll put things in that he just thinks are cool. Like, oh, it was in Back <laughs> to the Future. So, I, you know, I thought it was neat. So I put oh, it in. Oh, absolutely. So, like, it's hard to tell sometimes, like, how much of this has some sort of thematic meaning and how much of it is just I thought it was cool. Because like, MGS5 never... is a great yeah. example of this because of the style of the dialogue. It's it's very underspoken. You know, in in the cutscenes, there's very little said. Uh, the story is very understated. And you can you can liken that to a phantom pain. You know, you can you can kind of twist your head around and into a pretzel and say, okay, well, there's not as much obvious, blatant, uh, overt narrative in MGS five because we're supposed to feel a phantom pain for these things that are missing that were there previously in prior games. Or you could say, well, Kojima just really likes the movie Drive, which has Mm. the exact same tone. Or Mad Max. But yeah. Um, let's never forget everything that we look at. We look at Kojima's motivations for putting things in games, given by his feelings, his thoughts, his ideas, but also his extreme Hollywood fanboyism. So let's never forget that, like you said, things are just there to be cool, at least in a, a set percentage of times. Yeah. Um, and it's easy to start green meeting where uh, or meaning where there necessarily isn't too much. Yeah, I think one uh I mean and this is something like I've talked about before I think but uh Python Selkin, you know, those guys they like really go into stuff and it's like I may not agree with like every little theory that they have but like they are going in and like making those connections and then the, at least it's then like plausible, you know, at that point and it's like well that could go either way. But uh, you know, it's it's a fun series to to dive into, like the conspiracy side of things, or just like you know, if you know the certain the dev history, you know, you can know where they were coming from. Okay, I I, I got to tell you that my only experience with Python Selkin is the theories that people bring in my chat coming from him, <laughs> and what little thumbnails and video titles I see on my YouTube that I haven't clicked once, but. Now we're starting to delve into a little bit of um, tricky territory because there's definitely those people who like to associate things in a way that is is somewhat of a scoop maybe or sensationalism. You know, it's – Yeah, for sure. I I want that attention that I think I connected these dots. Um, So I tried to first – on stream, for example, when I do a Metal Gear Solid 2 in-depth run, go through all the things that we know for sure. Like I said, there's a lot that we know for sure. And then I go back and tell people, looking at all these things, then perhaps maybe this other thing, you know, could be part of it as well. Yeah. Just know where I'm coming from with with my assumptions. Um, actually, as much as you, we were talking about how it's hard to find older content now for in terms of articles and interviews and stuff, uh, this is actually, I've, I've kind of had the opposite problem with um, MGS5 things or MGSV things, as you guys call it sometimes. I'm not really going to get into all of that. <laughs> oh, no, we're going uh, to. Uh, let's not, please. <laughs> yeah, let's not. I agree. I don't give a shit what people call it, man. Call it <laughs> the fuck y'all want. Yeah, I'm just here for a good time. I'm a moderate fan. I'm like just here for a good time. <laughs> you know what? From now on, it's MGS Cinco. Okay, perfect. Hell yeah. <laughs> uh, so I've actually had the opposite problem, which I'm not able to find as many statements and things that truly uh, 
express Kojima's feelings and things on it because, I mean, he's kind of gone after that. And because he's, you know, at that point, a lot of it is definitely on the, because it's cool and Hollywood and all that side of things. So you don't, you, you definitely don't get something as obvious as Snake himself delivering Kojima's message, being his mouthpiece like he does in MGS2. Um, but yeah, I was talking about patterns in the themes of the games and how each of them applied to Kojima. And you're going to have to stop me here because I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go for a while. Uh, <laughs> we're going to cover the whole thing, you know, uh, and the difference between MGS1 and 2 for me and the rest of the series is that the themes in MGS1 and 2 are these little life lessons that Kojima wants to, to pass on in a way to tell you about. You know, your genetic fate and your, of course, much bigger picture uh, how information is tr transmitted and passed on and, and evolves and gets interpreted. And two, these are sort of things that came naturally that he, I feel, was in a way benevolent, want, benevolently wanting to, to pass on to his fans. Uh, so that's when I have a problem with everything else because I feel that it's not as spontaneous in a way. I feel that it's now heavily being influenced by the backlash the series suffered after MGS2. So people always tell me, oh, you don't like MGS3. Why don't you like MGS3? Well, MGS3 is the first game where Kojima really let it get to him, I feel. So once we, if we just, you know, don't go too much down that one rabbit hole right now. But if we just stick to the, the, the words, like I said, Gene and Meme from just one and two are these life lessons that he wants to pass on. And then three and especially four, and we'll get to five, with sense and four and scene and three, um, you know, these are things that I feel have started to affect him from the fans' reaction. So, without going too deep into each of these for now, unless you guys want to, uh, we already mentioned Peace Walker's theme being obviously peace. And we know what Kojima went through with MGS4 and that now he's found his peace to want to make games again. You know, the explosion of um, portable gaming and Monster Hunter and Kojima's son reaction to, to Monster Hunter as opposed to, to Metal Gear definitely had a part in that. But now Kojima wants to make games again with Peace Walker. Uh, so it makes sense, even though, like I said, it's just a feeling. But I will definitely agree that if you know what happened after MGS4's development, Kojima is now at peace because he's making games again without anybody literally threatening his life to do so. And that leads us to the final theme of revenge in MGS5. So I tell people, yeah, this is just my opinion, but if the, all the other themes in some way apply to Kojima himself, at first wanting to pass things on with MGS1 and 2, or give a little life lessons, and then in 3, you know, the whole scene thing is, to me, the mess to happen with the development and trying to pass on a series, and eventually forcing him to do something that he would not have done otherwise, just like 
Naked Sneak does, just like the boss does, putting those themes of the political or, you know, corporate scene forcing you to do things, to me, fits in that. And then the sense, of course, and then just for Kojima's words, I believe, were something like, yes, sometimes you try to pass things on, but the sense of what you try to pass on will be lost. So, uh, yes, the team can make games. Yes, the, the team can keep working with me, but they didn't truly get the sense of what I was trying to pass on uh, for four. Then Peace Walker, okay, he's found his piece. So why wouldn't, and this is the main thing that I want you guys' opinion on, why wouldn't the theme of revenge apply to Kojima as well? When so far, everything has applied to his state of mind at each game's development. So the theme of revenge for MGS5, there's some people who think, oh, that game is shit on purpose. Or, you know, uh, that game is amazing. Best gameplay, the story is so-so, whatever. So who exactly does the theme of revenge apply to in Images 5? What do you guys think? Before I give you my version of it, and I'm not saying that the game was bad on purpose because there's more to it than that. It is not. <laughs> I mean... Man, you're, you're I, preaching to the choir. Uh, <laughs> Go ahead, Daze. I've I've already got my answer prepared, but go go ahead. I'm I don't know if I'm trying to just be like the copacetic granola in the group or something, but I don't exactly know if that like if if those two opinions or if if you thinking that it's a good game and you thinking that revenge is the, the theme are like mutually exclusive or whatever you want to say. Um, and the reason I say that is because okay, so last week we had this discussion with Three Dog, right? Or I think it was Three Dog, Three Dog or Leo, one of the two. And to summarize it, it was basically like, you know, you can look at the end, like you can look at MGS 5s ending as the inverse of two, in either a sort of release type of way, like oh, you know. Um, Sorry, I'm, I'm, my coffee's not kicking in. You can see mm -hmm. it. In, you can see it in a way that's like, oh, you know, you you are becoming big boss. Like you've become the big boss that you want to be, and I'll, I'll let you do your thing. Or you can sort of see it as like, oh, you know, you became this caricature of big boss for big boss, and it's 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 really like cynical. Um, and I'm probably not explaining it the best. So um, yeah, just take a take a listen to our last episode. But with that being said. Um, you know, if we if we look at it from that cynical approach, that approach of, you know, I'm sticking you with this big boss. I'm I'm sticking you in this role, um, whether you like it or not. I'm giving you back the dog tags, I think, is the, the metaphor that we used. Then you can still use, you know, you can still consider that theme of revenge. But, man, I don't know if I even want to touch that whole the game intentionally being bad aspect of this concept. I'm just looking at it. I'm applying our conversation from last week. I'm just saying. I'm, I'm just going to repeat for a second here. Let's make it clear. I do not think I'm just five was bad on purpose. Okay. Okay. Uh, that that changes up things a little bit. Um, but I would say my opinion still applies. Like, you know, I, I think that, you know, if we look at it from that sort of cynical view of the ending, then, yeah, I can see that making sense. Your turn, Nitroid. Okay. All right. Um, I'm going to echo a bit of what you said, because uh, you, you touched on some of it. Um, 
if we go back and look at MGS2 and how that ended, it's sort of beautifully ambiguous. You know, you you don't know where things are going to go because this is sort of your story to fill in. You take what you got out of it and you move forward and Kojima moves forward and that's it. That's how this was supposed to stop, at least for him. Um, But nobody got it. At least not enough people got it. And so here we are with Metal Gear Solid 3 and Metal Gear Solid 4 and Peace Walker. And he's been put into this cycle, repeating the same motions over and over and over again. And this was sort of what MGS4 was trying to criticize was this repetition of patterns over and over and over again. And we re- and MGS uh, Cinco kind of revisits <laughs> that notion of patterns being repeated uh, ad infinitum. You know, an- another you know another day in an endless battle. I can't remember the quote exactly. Um, another day in a war without end. Um, you know, this is just making another Metal Gear is just another day on the on the job for Kojima. Uh, at this point, it's not a passion project anymore, at least not like it used to be, uh, in large part because all the way back in 2001 with Metal Gear Solid 2, nobody got it. And that's why we're here. That's why he's here. That's why he's still making these games, because nobody got what he was trying to say and they wanted more sequels. So going to what you said, Days, um, MGSV does seem to invert Metal Gear Solid 2's ending by, as you said, handing the dog tags back in a way. Rather than rejecting the false identity and making your own, you're rejecting your own identity and embracing the false one. It's It struck me, and, and this is why I, I, I love the game so much and why, why I rated it so high, was that uh, it seemed at the end, it was like Kojima looking at you and saying, you didn't get it the last time, so I'm going to give you exactly what you wanted. Enjoy. From here on out. Your big boss. And then he just walked away. Well, you know, who, who knows what would have happened if he hadn't had to walk away, but what a place to drop the mic, you know? Uh, that, to me, I think would be the revenge aspect, for better or worse, because the game does acknowledge that revenge is not necessarily the best thing. And, and in a way, you could look at the previous games that constantly try to sort of it sort of tries to upend the player's expectations of what the game's going to be by imparting a lesson that hopefully at some level leads back to that initial lesson in Metal Gear Solid 2. Um, you know, MGS4 and sense. That's basically saying some things, you know, you can't pass on. Uh, some things are intrinsic. Uh, and some things possibly even shouldn't be passed on. Um, you know, those kind of lead you back to thinking, okay, well, what got us here? So... In a sense, it's been a cycle of revenge all the way up to this point until finally he's like, fine, just take it. I don't care anymore. You're getting what you asked for. Um, that's that's where I think it, it comes from, if I if if that made any sense. Um, as for race, that's another one. And I've, I've got kind of an interesting take on that, but let's come back to that later. I actually completely agree with that. I just see it under a more cynical light. And the reason that I don't go and say, oh, MGS5 is genius because um, Kojima just hands you back the dog tags and tells you, here, you're happy now. You're a big boss like you wanted to be. You wanted to be a badass action hero. There you go. But I'm out. 
Um, it's essentially the same thing that you're saying, and I've been saying this for a long time. The only thing that prevents me from fully acknowledging that MGS5 is, that's, that's all it is, is unfortunately the state in which the game was released. And now I know that there's people here who don't believe MGS5 is unfinished, but hear me out. When people say MGS5 is unfinished, usually they're referring to, oh, I don't know, chapter three memes or... Um, chapter three memes. Yeah, chapter three. Never be game mission, over. Yeah, mission 51, chapter three title screen or mission 51. Usually that's what they're referring to. Yeah. Uh, when I say that MGS5 is unfinished, I'm talking about something completely different. Because if you want to be technical, things get cut from games all the time. That's actually part of finishing a product is cutting things from it. Uh, I'm just five. Uh, sorry, I'm just two. Had uh, the whole Manhattan thing got cut out for reasons. The um, snake escaping the tanker with uh, the water flooding everywhere that was cut as well. Uh, so we're gonna go out and say I'm just two is an unfinished game because of those things. Not quite. Those things were cut out as a part of the development process. So, see what I'm getting at. Yeah. Yeah, had the circumstances been different, like had he not been on the way out, yeah, the game might have had a different just direction and tone in general. So, well, yeah, but, I've actually come really sorry, um, come really close to the conditions to be met to say M just five is genius because Kojima is you know giving going back to proto and meta fans, kind of giving. The proto fans, which I would imagine most casual fans, gaming journalists and big names would fall into uh, or fall under. You know, you got good graphics, enjoyable gameplay, soundtrack, whatever um, that, that people like. Oh, it's cool. You can do this. You have the helicopter and whatnot. Uh, so that's an automatic 10 out of 10 IGN. Big name, big production value, big um, good graphics, good uh, important names in it, uh, and the more, more casual fans can enjoy that. As a video game. <laughs> As a video game, sure. And that's <laughs> that's kind of the genius part of it. While at the same time, the people who can read into the meta of it yeah. also get that message of revenge that it's hard for me to say that I'm just 5 is not possibly Kojima's revenge on the fans. Let's say it. Not because the game is bad on purpose, but because like like we said, it he hands you back the dog tags and sort of gives in to the proto fans demands in a way. But he doesn't care anymore because just like Big Boss, Kojima is on his way out. And now he might have different things that he prioritizes and works on or cares about. I think Kojima was way too far gone into this Hollywood fetish by the time MGS5 was being developed. And honestly, he probably didn't want to keep up this whole, you know, I failed to pass on the game, the series, like I wanted to. One thing that I'm not really a fan of is how it influenced every single game after MGS2. I wish that we would have got more, you know, uh, genuine Kojima thoughts and reactions and uh, views that were not necessarily influenced by the fact almost entirely by the fact that his 
his failure to pass on the series caused everything to change. But it did. So I'm not the biggest fan of MGS3 for that reason. And um, in MGS5, it would be genius if Kojima just got this great value, good graphics, good gameplay game out to the people who can look at it that way. So he gets praise for it, but also, oh yeah, revenge for, it's my revenge on the fan base for the people who can see it. But also revenge for blowing up my fucking mother base and revenge on Skullface. <laughs> so that's what's like, as a, like, you know, I'm trying to like argue the proto side just because both you guys are like arguing mainly the meta. Like I, I enjoy a lot of the meta stuff too and it adds that bonus layer to it for me where I'm like, oh, well, that's neat. But for me, I, I mainly am in it for like the story and just like, you know, the character interactions and stuff. So I can understand like someone wanting the ambiguity like in MGS2, you know, it's, I've always compared it to like how in Star Wars, you know, we had kind of that limited amount of information in the first trilogy. And then in the prequels, they were like, well, here's midichlorians and we're going to explain fucking everything. That's kind of <laughs> like the MGS4 in this situation. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, like, some people are going to like that. And they're like, cool, I wanted to know every little detail about what makes a jet. You know, like, they mm-hmm. like that part of it. And some people are like, oh, but the mystique, though. Like, uh, you know, I've literally had that conversation with people. So it, it's all just, like, perspective and, and taste and, you know, personal uh, preference on that side of it, and mm-hmm. I think that's that's why there is so much clash when it comes to it because you've just got people arguing from different schools of thought where it's not really necessarily right or wrong, but just you know different views on it. But well, here's actually I rambled on for a long time, but I didn't get to the point that I was trying to make. Sorry. Go ahead. Uh, so you you might be wondering why do I think MGS Five is unfinished? The reason that I cannot just go out and say yeah, Kojima got his good face value things for people who want that, and he's got his revenge meta thing for people who might look into that, and MGS Five is perfect. Why don't I say that? Why can't I say that? Unfortunately, because of the overall feeling of the quality of the structure and the technical aspect itself of MGS5, I cannot bring myself to say this worked perfectly just as planned and this looks like it was planned. Because one of my major problems with MGS5 is that when there is nonsense, you never know if the nonsense is intended or the nonsense is a product of the, the absolute development hell that that game went through. Yeah. And I could sit here and go over examples for hours and hours. I've probably played MGS5, I don't know, more than you guys, but more than most people who watch the channel. And More than Robert? I, <laughs> I mean, have you, okay, because when people tell me like, oh, I've got 500 hours, 600 hours in MGS5 or 1,000 hours in MGS5, uh, usually it means that they played a lot of FOBs and farmed shit, right? Um but I don't know who actually goes and deletes their save or keeps starting a new save, a new playthrough every time. Maybe you guys do, but that's mm-hmm. actually part of the reason I want to bounce ideas off of you guys. Um, well, let me let me first uh, before we before we sort of go anywhere. Let me sure. first offer a possible counterpoint to the notion that the game's unfinished. Um, and I mean, this is let's put aside. Uh, developer uh statements for a moment let's just let's just shelve that okay yeah i wonder about this for one big reason i wonder how much of metal gear solid cinco i'm gonna have to try and get you to say that now (laughs) to commit to my own joke um 
I wonder how much of that feeling is uh, a result of bad timing. Like, is that the game's worst sin? Bad timing? Had the had the the drama in the company not happened, were Kojima still with his studio, uh, and the game came out exactly as is, would we still be having this conversation? Like, how much of the it's unfinished conversation stemmed out of the fact that he was given the boot? On top of the fact that the game is literally called The Phantom Pain, which is a it, it is an amazing alibi for having an unfinished game because you can just say you're supposed to feel that way so it's like you said it's 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 impossible to tell what's intentional and what's not it is the perfect alibi you just look right at him and go you feel it too don't you <laughs> yeah but there are okay sorry there are things there are certain things that i i can tell were not intentional just because like little technicalities and little uh, inconsistencies. Because I highly doubt that Kaz tells you to destroy your own entire emplacements of Mother Base because Kojima wanted to leave Konami or was going to leave Konami. I highly doubt that they reuse Ground Zero's Kaz's voice on Mother Base. And I'm sure you guys are aware of this. He tells you to destroy your own entire airbase emplacements. Why? Because they just reused the fucking audio file without care or context of who it was, where the player was, and what was supposed to play there. I highly doubt that Ocelot talks about Skullface's death before it happens on purpose. It's because the tape is out of place. I highly doubt that OKB Zero has Diamond Dogs containers because Skullface stole them instead of being reused assets. I highly doubt that Kaz's Intel file is literally the only Intel file in the entire game, even when you do missions unrelated to rescuing Kaz because Kojima was leaving Konami and wanted to put his revenge in the game or because he wanted to be painful. I think those are complete, completely like idiotic parts of the development that just scream to me we did not have the time the money the care or the ability to know what we were doing i don't know if you guys are aware of all these issues i've got a list i've got a <laughs> video that i want to release with every single one of these things kaz tells you to destroy your own entire air emplacements on mother base ocelot uh, tells you that you stole an enemy vehicle if you fall on a car on Mother Base. Kaz praises you if you destroy your own vehicle in a mission where you're supposed to destroy vehicles. What the fuck? <laughs> you know, it's... Again, I, I don't know if unfinished is the word I would use for that. This was the first time they had made an open-world game, and if you've seen open-world games, they're kind of a clusterfuck. Look at look at Cyberpunk. That's the perfect example. Oh. <laughs> Those guys have so much experience making games. The Witcher 3 is 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 masterful in many regards and Cyberpunk is a mess. Was, that was the example I was going to think of because there's a situation where you can sequence break your relationship with Johnny because you decided to do side missions before you go like dick deep in the main story. So, is it unfinished or just a fuck up? You know, because uh, previous games have fuck ups. I mean, you could call it an oversight. And this is their first time in a genre. 
You could call it an homage because, I mean, you can beat, like, the NES uh, Metal Gear game by sequence breaking some of that. So, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe that's just been a thing the whole time. Well, it, it kind of goes back to that point about plausible deniability, too. Um, it kind of reminds me of that movie Knives Out with the old, like, mystery author, like, getting murdered. I still haven't seen that, so oh, shit. I, I, I got it. Okay, Actually, well, okay. I, I'm going to shut up now. Um <laughs> but uh, what what I'm trying to say is, you know, we, we go back to, you know, the fandom cannot just accept a cigar as a cigar because the author, you know, more often than not. The author smokes that shit yeah, on the regular. More often than not, the cigar <laughs> means a lot of things. So in the context of five, it's like, you know, you have this sort of amalgamation of people who not only are concerned about how unfinished it is in terms of like the story or whatever, but how, in terms of how like intentionally unfinished it is. So you're, you have to, well, it's almost like critical thinking is working against you in this situation. Yeah. And I get that you're not arguing that these glitches are intentional. I, that's, that's not what you're saying. Right. Right. Like these are, these are genuinely just errors in the game. I'm saying it, that these are errors and it's just a matter of circumstance that these errors came from somebody who has like replicated errors or used errors to convey something like convey a certain message. So it's just like, this game is a, f the whole it's situation. It's a Rorschach blot. <laughs> so you do think they're no. intentional. No, I, well, I, I don't. Th oh, sorry. I don't think. They're, okay. I'm going to shut up now. Nitro doesn't think they're intentional, right? No, I don't think they're intentional. I mean, I think they're I think they're bugs. I just don't necessarily think that it's an indication that the game is unfinished so much as, you know, it, 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 we've had this talk before days about software development and how finished is sort of a nebulous concept. Right. Acceptance criteria can change <laughs> at any time. Sure. Because there are there are bugs in finished, you know, there are bugs in, in Metal Gear Solid 4 that yeah, haven't yeah. been patched out. So does that mean that game's unfinished or is it just an oversight when you've got a game as, as complex as, as you know, as this, where you've got an open world and a million interacting pieces, you're going to have weird emergent behaviors pop out. You see it all the time in Grand Theft Auto and that game is tied down. So we, we could argue that, yeah, what it really means for a piece of software to be finished at that point. But it's funny you mentioned MGS4, um, because I think the main thing is when playing any of the other games or like rewatching the making of MGS4, they tell you just how much Kojima used to, you know, play test and report bugs, send things back to the development team, keep reporting things, play testing all over the place. Um, and that is part of the development process. Uh, I cannot feel that they did the same thing with five. You might say, oh, it's an open world game. Um, I have I have arguments against that as well, but anyway. But the thing is, when you got like maybe two guys in the credits, two guys working on the physics, and you've seen what some of the, the vehicles can do, you start thinking, where is the playtesting? Where is I cannot believe that Kojima, the perfectionist who playtested and reported bugs tirelessly, and would not release a game until it's in his opinion acceptable, even MGS4. Um, I could not believe. I don't think it was really his call at that point, you know? See, I would disagree, though, because there, there, you know, in the same videos you're talking about, there are examples of Kojima arguing with Korikado 
about features versus bug testing and optimization, and Kojima would push for more features despite the fact that Corikado would say, no, we got to stop because this is breaking and and we're running on a deadline here. You know, going back to Cyberpunk, that was a game with that had a nine-year development cycle by a team that is well-known for making polished games, and the final product is, you know, unarguably a mess. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and then we're talking about the Phantom Pain, and that game had, you know, there were, what, like seven years between four and five. So if we're assuming post-engine development, which was probably you know, a three-year process. I'm going, I'm spitballing here because I don't have the timeline in front of me. Um, we can probably say that MGS V5 Cinco, whatever, had like three to four years development time. Would that, would that be a fair, would you, would you say that's about right? Probably, yeah. Yeah, with, at least. With yeah. a team, again, that had absolutely no experience with open world development. You know, we're talking half of the time. And it, it's it's just, I don't know. I, I mean, I get what you're saying. I do. I just don't know if I can. Well, uh. here's the thing. You two, I don't usually get the chance to talk to people who also presumably grew up playing the series and played the shit out of the series. Yeah. Uh, so this is a good opportunity for me um, to really, I, I always try to convey this feeling on stream as best as I can. Perhaps the problem is that I've gotten used to a certain standard playing these games in such a way that, and excuse the pun, they are made solidly. There's such solid products. Yeah. Like you might say, there's, okay, there's bugs in every game. There's no clipping, there's glitching things, there's maybe even little inconsistencies if you look in every game. But holy shit, and the thing with MGS5 and like the other games is that I literally, personally, could not play that game without running to something that reminds me it was rushed and it came out in this, to me, pathetic state. Um, even when I tried to do the most series of runs, something crazy, and the people who watch my stream can tell you, something always happens and makes you go like, what the fuck? And I'm gonna connect to something that you guys recently said, um, how MGS2 is the Truman Show, Hey. <laughs> yes, because everything is arranged in such a way to make Raiden feel comfortable, and except when he not, he's not supposed to, you know. So it's, I can see that connection. Everything is prearranged for Raiden to go through. Um, now, if you expand that definition to any piece of software that is made for the player to go through, and you know, within certain boundaries, within certain features and things that you're supposed to see or not supposed to see. Uh, now when it comes to MGS5, I've actually said this before, but I feel it's more in theme now. MGS5 is a terrible Truman show for me yeah. <laughs> because every step of the way I can peek around the corner and see that it's just, just for show that is and not really made that well. The best way that I can put this is it's like a cardboard cutout and the closer you get, the more you realize that it's there's not a whole lot to it. So it looks good from far, but when you get close, and that's how I feel about most of the cutscenes in MGS5, it's like they were made to look cool in trailers. And people do cool actions and whatnot, but then once you get to the reasons as to why those things happened, and the, 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 literally the raw story behind it, it's just not as 
interesting as you might have thought. And this is highly subjective. There's no impact. Yeah, it's this is highly subjective. I, I get that. And Kojima's been diverting expectations for, since ages, like forever. People say him just two, but I say him just one trailers as well. You got those trailers with Snake and Meryl shooting the walls for absolutely no reasons or Snake blowing up the base, which never happens just to look cool. They want those trailers to look cool. Let's see for you. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about. You can literally see Meryl shoot the wall in one of the MGS1 trailers. <laughs> Absolutely no reason. But it looks cool because they're shooting things together. So Kojima's always done that. But then you play the actual game, it doesn't happen, and there's a whole different story behind it. And if you want to get down that rabbit hole, then the story is something higher something superior something deeper or more interesting that has always been the case for me so then the question becomes uh did did kojima quote unquote make it bad on purpose if you if no. you think it's if you think it's bad if no no, no, know, no i don't think it's bad but no let me let me finish what i mean this, this is a point i've tried to raise before i personally like the game but i understand that a lot of people do not and so I've seen so much um, I've seen so many people like twist themselves into knots to try to justify the parts of of that game that they don't like. And sometimes you just got to ask yourself, like, did he just make a game that wasn't that good? At least to 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 you, you know, I personally liked it. A lot of people liked it, but the people who didn't, maybe it's not always going to be what you like. Oh yeah. Maybe it's just like how many how many bad games have you played that are not because of some higher purpose, you know? They're just bad games. Yeah. You know? It it's just not every design idea is going to work on paper. Or, or going to work in practice. You know, it may sound good on paper, but it's not going to necessarily play out the way you think it will in your head. Yeah, I used to hear a lot just people would say, you know, it's it's a good game. It's just not a good Metal Gear game. So it was, you know, it's just like like you said earlier with your with your standard and like what the other games set before that. You know, you're kind of like going in expecting something, but now they're like, but what if we did an open world one? And it's like, well, that kind of worked. I absolutely went in expecting something just because of the Metal Gear game uh, name. Uh, but it's, that's not to say that I'm pissed off about the twist or I'm pissed off about the tapes or it's just a, there's so many things that and maybe this is me being a little arrogant now I feel could have been done better. And this is highly subjective again. Um, that's how I feel about that, MGS4. <laughs> yeah yeah uh i just just it's astounding to me that they did not think of doing it in this way it, maybe i don't understand quite the resources or the time involved in doing it but say for example the shining lights mission i absolutely abhor that mission i cannot stand it it's one of the things that triggers me the most when i play that mission i want to seriously shut down a game because you finally have something that happens around the player instead of, you know, all these little tiny missions where you rescue a random dude in the desert. You finally have something happening on Mother Base around the player. And what do they do? On rails, never seen before, nothing leading up to it, zombie, generic zombie flick that, oh, my friends are infected. I got to kill them. That infuriates the shit out of me. 
there's so many ways that I think they could have gone about it. Have mother base indoor areas, have connections to the characters, visit those facilities before they are infected, develop like a routine that makes the player go through them, have characters with names, with conversations, maybe side stories or side objectives, create a connection with them. And then they get infected, you got to go there, you got to shoot them and you see the facilities from working normally to, you know, in shambles and blood everywhere like you do. Yeah, Mm -hmm. there's a lot of potential there lost for sure. That would have been the amazing way to go around it and have the fully functional mother base and the facilities and the characters to connect to. Instead, you know what I say on stream when I play that mission? Oh, this is the first time I'm seeing the inside of mother base. Literally, (laughs) new base, who this? Who are you? I've never seen you before. I've never been in this facility before. I'm supposed to be the boss. But they're singing the song. I really like the comparison you made about the about it being sort of an anti-Truman show where everything is hollow. Yeah, but it's... I I, I mean, everything's hollow in the Truman show, but this is almost, like like you said, it's a weird inverse. Yeah, but it's it's arranged in such a way that Truman believes it. Ryden believes it at first. This is terrible because you can tell it's obviously not done on purpose. It's all the little technicalities that just the game leaking everywhere that it's it, to me okay maybe let's not say unfinished and unrefined unpolished whatever you want to call it every step of the way be it the mission structure uh the lack of memorable music the pathetic mission objectives the level design is not existent uh the gameplay yeah. it's really weird in comparison to ground zeros too which because ground oh, zeros yeah. is tight oh yeah when i say i'm just five pisses me off i'm talking about phantom pain we should just call it the phantom pain <laughs> what the hell happened between ground zeros and the phantom pain like, ground zeros is awesome yeah ground zeros is awesome so tight. It's, what is yeah you know what i always tell people and let the people realize by themselves stop to think about ground zeros for a second and realize that ground zeros is probably accidentally the most realistic Metal Gear game there is. There's nothing crazy that cannot happen in real life that happens in Ground Zeroes and which goes perfectly with the shift in tone that we're talking about. You know, no silly Fulton balloons, uh, reduced HUD, less like crazy stuff going on whatsoever. And then, uh, a darker, more serious tone. You now got torture and rape and all that stuff and the reproduction of Guantanamo Bay and everything that fell in perfectly. Skullface could have just been a burn victim that there's people in real life who are much uglier than him. No offense. And they're just burn victims who didn't need this whole parasite thing to go with it. So stop to think about it for a second. Correct me if I'm wrong. Nothing unrealistic happens in ground zeros. You see, I'm, I'm really trying to think now. Yeah, I mean, outside of like the deja vu mission. Uh, I mean, of course, yeah, I'm talking about count. count. Yeah. yeah, I'm talking about the main story, of course. Yeah, exactly, the most unrealistic yeah. thing. No, I think you're right. Yeah, the uh, most unrealistic thing in Grand Zeroes is the Idroid. <laughs> I'm really struggling. Yeah, I think you're right. The fact that that trademark would work out, if they could get I Android. Yeah, that's a such a f- funny name to use. Implausible. Um, <laughs> so I gotta ask, given everything we've said about the Phantom Pain and and whether or not it was unfinished and Kojima's time spent on the project and and his apparent fatigue with the franchise. Fast forward, he's now free to do what he wants. He has, you know, full reign to do anything. And 
what he makes is Death Stranding. What are your thoughts on that? Too little, too late. He's too far gone. He's been far gone since MG5's development. With the second he got in contact with Avi Arad, he got his foot into the door with Kiefer, with everything. I do not think that we are now getting a genuine, like, Kojima of being free again thing because I mean he probably is but too much of a Hollywood influence it's adulterated if you will absolutely and 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 to be to be fair that's been a thing as we know since MGS3 has been wanting to get Kurt Russell to voice Snake uh, which of course he got laughed in the face for and it didn't happen um, Hater shamefully had to re-audition and re-record lines because of that. Um, so you, you could argue that, oh, maybe if Kojima had been left to do whatever he wanted, he would have done something similar anyway, maybe with not as many connections. And who knows if that would have, for us players, been a good thing or a bad thing. Uh, I'm not really a fan of the fact that Kojima basically put real life music bands and real life people in everywhere in that stranding, not just Hollywood, but in this circle of friends. Uh, and I get the, the deeper theme of connection that he's trying to, to, um, to put in that stranding. And that's, that's cute and everything. But uh, unfortunately being another, another open world game, uh, and this might be a higher problem here. This might be a personal problem that I have with many and most open world games. And you might fight me on this. I personally do not think that we have the technology today to make a true open world game where everything is live, real time interaction and consequences. You simply cannot, if anything, just because things can only load so far around the player. But anyway, I don't want to get into that because it's a much deeper problem than I have personally. I don't think open world games should be a thing yet. Um, but to me, that stranding was another um, failure of at creating an open world that's not feeling alive. Because I understand that isn't it convenient that most open world games take place in like a deserted like context or place or some cataclysm, whatever. Anyway, deserted Afghanistan, deserted like that stranding. Uh, America with big open fields that take about five minutes for you to yes there and listen yes. to a tape while you get to your objective. <laughs> Isn't yeah. that convenient that all these open world games just happen to be <laughs> fucking deserted? Um, so that's I one was... thing. I, uh, sorry, let me finish because that's that's not really the point I was yeah, trying to make. It's just something I was being a smartass about. Uh, but to me, the stranding is another failure at creating an open world. Not that's alive because it's not supposed to be, but that feels real. That feels incredible example in the other and again i'm gonna have to go back to other metal gear games I'm pretty sure the united states isn't five miles wide oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> um example uh there's exactly one horse in mgs5 there's two but then it goes down to one i don't know if you guys ever realized that big boss or big medic as i call him has this unseen before technology of riding horses that nobody else is aware of there's literally no horses in MGS5 other than yours. You see for a brief second ocelots at the beginning, but apparently that goes straight to the glue factory because it's never to be seen again. It's just a recaller of the horse anyway. How do the enemies get fooled by a horse when you're laying on the side of it when there's <laughs> one horse in the world? There's exactly one horse in the entire world. 
And same thing in that strand, there's one deer in the entire world that you see at the beginning and never to be seen again. I, hey, you know, I was playing it uh, a couple weeks ago and I found a fish. I was, I was pretty amazed by that. <laughs> yeah, and it makes you go like, wow, I found something finally. Well, yeah, the animals are getting fucked up in that game though, so that makes sense it, It's at least. true, but at least, can I at least see that one deer that you showed me like somewhere? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I think it's the same problem that D horse has in MGS Five. There's one horse in the entire world. <laughs> yeah, they don't and feel is, the worlds don't feel lived in. They may not need to be alive, yeah, but they need to feel yeah. lived in. I like to call them. Yeah, that's a good way of putting. It. I also like to call it credible. Make it feel credible. In the other games, you're you're in your own self enclosed base that you practically never step out of or whatever area you're supposed to be in. And all each of those areas have, you know, their own part of being, their own part of the world feel credible. You, you can keep thinking, oh, there's technically the rest of the world out there. Things are happening. For example, coded conversations also contribute to that. Um, but in MGS5 and even in Death Stranding, it's so weird. It's like everything is set up there purely for the player. And don't get me wrong, all games are set up just for the player to to go through, of course. But they don't constantly leak this feeling of um, it's just, just like I said, bad Truman Show. It's, it's leaking um, the fact that it's not lived in or credible. I think coming from like a game like MGS2, you know, it feels pretty lived in, you know. I was going to say, yes. we are expect, it goes back to your expectations for like detail oriented set pieces. Yeah, you have the dead bodies thrown around the tanker and you're like, oh shit, things actually happened here. Like you get a feel for what this was like before you showed up. And you know, yeah. it's, yeah. I think that you might, you might agree with me on this, but I feel like Kojima is a stronger creator when he's working within limitations uh literally and figuratively speaking because if you have limited environments constrained environments more linear set pieces it seems like those games do have a stronger more natural feel to them and as they got wider and larger they sort of lost that um that genuine element uh, that authenticity. <laughs> Look what he can do with one hallway. Yeah. You know. Exactly. PT is a <laughs> yeah, fantastic yeah. example. That yeah. is yeah. downright masterful. It's one of the best things he's ever made. Yeah. Um, and it's and it's literally like one hallway. Yeah. And when you start expanding the world, naturally you should go with all the details that come with the expanded areas, the infrastructure, the the, the, the life that should be going on in it. Um, but I I think. And it's really hard to convey, going back to what I was saying, uh, seeing certain features that were done in the other games, perhaps because of these constraints that we're talking about. So usually when you see a sequel of a game come out, you assume that, you know, all the things in the previous games are at least accounted for. Not necessarily there, but you have holdups in MGS3, just like you have holdups in MGS2. Uh, you can now interrogate people. So it, the feature comes back and it's improved or built upon. Um, and I'm just four, you can't interrogate anymore, but you can squeeze their ball sack. So <laughs> it was at least aware that you could, you could 
hold up people and they decided to reimagine that. They didn't think a snake needed to interrogate people anymore. Okay, sure, whatever. But uh, when I see, and I think the key word really is details and features here, missing, it really infuriates me because you can clearly see the radio, which is just a rip off of the iDroid model on their hips and you can't shoot her anymore. Uh, you ever tried to hold up a, gu- a, a guy with an empty gun in MGS2 and go click and see what happens? Yep. Yeah, you tried doing that in 5? Can you, um, I haven't tried it in 5, no, but I'm guessing they don't react? They don't react. And they literally drown themselves in 5 if you hold them up in what little, like, ankle-deep water there is. Because that's the other thing that there's... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. They drown themselves. You hold them up in the water and they drown themselves. They very commit. They are very committed to that holdup. They will drown themselves and they start bleeding all over the place somehow. <laughs> I can't remember. Do you, um, I can't remember if it was three or four or which of the games that it was that, you know, as far back as MGS2, if you started plugging the guards with tranquilizer darts, you would see them sticking out. Yep. Okay, here's a curious thing, and this will lead us straight into something that uh, Days wanted to talk about. So you can see the darts in two, you can see the darts in three, you cannot see them in four, but you can see them in four online. <laughs> okay. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> okay, hold up a second. <laughs> I did not know this. <laughs> There's a lot of weird stuff going on with MGO2. Guess you gotta start playing again, Nitroid. Oh, wow. Get them to change it back. Get them. Get get the save MGO guys to come up with a classic server, or or reverse okay. the changes. I need that vanilla MGO. Vanilla MGO. And I will be right back on. I'll play MGO okay, can one I, though. Can I say something? Because I, I think your guys respect you too much, Nightfall. You're being a gigantic pain in the butt with this <laughs> MGO two thing that they changed. Yes, it's not pretty. He's you saying the quiet part out loud. Ignored. I know we all feel. We just we're too nice to say it to you. I'm sorry. I'm I'm not budging. I I care too much about preservation. It's it's. But I want my snow. You are literally like old man yells a cloud. I will yell at that cloud until it gets the hell down from there. It's coming from him. Jesus Christ, man! Everybody, at in the comments to tell tell uh. Not sure to get back on MGO2. I got principles. Put it in the replies. I give you a compromise. How about you guys join my room, and if we see anybody with the altered textures, we ban them. <laughs> we tell them not allowed. But they got rid of the environment effects, too. Oh, well. <sighs> which maps Which maps were not affected? Yeah, it, like I know some of those people. It's going to get a little bit dramatic for me, so I don't know. <laughs> Man, it's about the it's about the principle of the thing. I, uh, You're going to die on that hill. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm going to die on this. <laughs> you're telling people this is a nice who hill. love you. They're, you're just saying fuck you guys because some motherfucker can wear a New York Yankees hat. <laughs> And it doesn't snow as much. You know, you know what's funny That's, is that if about- Kojima, if MGO2 like legitimately had a New York Yankees hat, like <laughs> as an official thing, I would be cool with it. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, we're going to go back to MGO2 real quick. I just wanted to, to mention other things like um, 
you know, destroying the food and ammo supply in three and the faction system and sort of like currency and weapon store thing that you have for those things would have been, I think, at home in an open world game. So they kind of were. Yeah. Like you, you could, uh, you could mess up all the, the supplies for the different things and then they wouldn't be able to like make helmets or make flashlights. Yeah. Yeah. But those are deployment missions, aren't they? I think there was just like, just that whole like economy that they had in the game that was kind of like learning how you played. Yeah. So if you were doing headshots, they would wear helmets. So like you could just, I think if you, I think it was if you just like messed up with the resources. But messing with the resources, I think, and correct me if I'm wrong, they are deployment missions that your men do. And the deployment missions are, again, a thing that if you read the little story that goes with them, it's often more interesting than the missions that you do as the player. But anyway, uh, it's true that you can mess with their things and they change equipment. That's perhaps the best thing that I can maybe praise about MGS5 is, yes, they base they base their equipment on what you do. If you replay the mission, they're going to use different things like armor, shields, helmets, NVGs, yeah. gas masks. Yes. Um, but like in 3, you yourself destroyed the supply shack and you see the effects of it when you load the next map. And it influences the the soldiers like AI and actions during things. Uh, the whole faction system, I think, that from MGS4, which isn't really too explored outside of Act 1 and 2, and even then only a few areas, um, I think would have been great to have it in 5 rather than, you know, just have everybody be dead. Uh, one thing that I think we need to keep in mind, though, is that, for example, MGS5 cannot render more than 12 people on screen. So you have all these wide open deserted areas. It cannot render. I don't know if you guys have ever seen what happens when you have more than 12 people on screen and I'm just five. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of it, we had to go back and talk about it, about the fact that the game had to run on PS3, for example. Uh, the reason that your mother base bridges are so long is because the game needs time to load as you approach things like the, the way that um, the game handles the memory and the spawn of entities around the player is kind of laughable, if you ask me. Yeah, there's just, I don't want to sit here and put MGS5 and Twy over you guys, but I could go on and I will go on once I make my complete video about it. There's just so many things on the technical level that scream, we didn't give a fuck or we didn't have the time to work on this properly. I think that's a big thing of it was just like time and like the, I think that's a big part of like why the breakup kind of happened. It was just like time plus funding plus we need more time plus we need more money plus, you know, Kojima like mismanaging some money and doing a bunch of dumb shit on the side. And it's like, man, we could have been working on stuff. You had this whole big shell company and wear a mask and all this (laughs) dumb shit and hire these voice actors, you know, I know. real life Hollywood actors. It's like, come on, bro. Yeah. I love that stuff, man. You got to spend all that money on that licensed music. Come on, bro. I loved it. And that's like, I get it. But he was, uh, he was setting a fire behind him as he walked out the door. He's mm-hmm. like, fuck you guys. <laughs> I, I don't know. We should talk about how closely. Allegedly. <clears throat> yeah. Oh, how closely yeah, the, the structure of, <laughs> the structure of five and Peace Walker reflect one another. And when I go back to play Peace Walker, literally everything is more detailed. But I don't, I don't really want to sit here and be salty about five all the time. But I, I, I'm curious if maybe 
I can prompt you guys to ask me things that I can talk about because I, I don't want to, like I said, make a monologue out of shitting on MG's five. Uh, no, it's okay. But, um, uh, I do want to make this point. It's and this is I feel like this would be a good bookend, but it's interesting because we we started this conversation. I think Nitrate had mentioned GTA Cinco, um, and he. It's funny that he said that because as soon as he said that, I just remember I forget like what interview this was or where it was but i remember somebody it was like kojima was talking about gta 5 and how when he first saw it and saw like all that detail like even if you you know you you think that it's not objectively a good open world game because it doesn't meet that standard that expectation for open world games yet um you know he saw that and his first reaction and of course this is while he was developing a metal gear solid cinco was like Oh my God, you know, what am I doing? Like he, he said that he had sort of like an emotional falling out and that he felt inferior. Like how, like, why couldn't, like he, he wasn't capable of, of, of pulling off what, what Rockstar did. And in retrospect, I feel like that was like a canary in a coal mine in a way, because mm-hmm. it's like you both are coming. It's, I feel like you, you, DRK and Nitrate are coming from a place of empathy. DRK in a sense that Kojima didn't have enough resources to, like you said, give a shit in terms of the level of detail that we expect. And Nitroid, from a software developing perspective, where it was like, he drafted a project, it got greenlit, you know, they did their PI planning and their sprint planning, but it just, it just overwhelmed them. So if we had something akin to the, um, perhaps a document or the, the grand plan of MGS5, um, then we might be able to to draw some reasonable conclusions, like Otacon would say. Uh, but we don't really have a whole lot. Like I you just have like the art books. Y- yeah, I mean, there's a whole like Chico <laughs> thing. Yeah, Chico's yeah. D- design and everything. There are definitely things that were supposed to be there. I don't know if you guys know the whole fiasco with Battle Gear, for example. I was about to bring up Battle yeah. Gear. Actually, I was like, and and when you said. With you know Kojima talking to Kurokado about like that being a balance issue versus you know like will this will this ruin the game or you know well, is this a technical thing where having that many people trying to fight it would have been too much? I I just remember that just being a balance quote and that's that's all that was ever really said. I don't know the exact reason. Yeah, I that's pretty much what it is. But there's one of two possibilities here. If you're telling me that it's a balance issue, then you're telling me that you programmed it. And you tested it and you carefully balanced it against everything else that the game has to offer and decided that was too overpowered. Yeah, that's, I think that's the most, yeah, because that's I bullshit. Just imagine wrecking shit that thing. That's <laughs> bullshit. That was, so they either did that. It would that. be a great final reward, like to get that and just be like, yeehaw, <laughs> just fuck up shit. Yeah. So they either did all of that and wasted a bunch of time and money, or they didn't and you just lied to, to us. Yeah. It's one of the two. It cannot be anything else that i can see and given the amount of balance that is in the game to begin with i'm inclined to believe that they did not have time to play test and balance everything the funny thing is battle gear is supposed to be an anti-walker gear measure right um have you guys seen what happens if you just run into a walker gear with d horse or a car not off top of my head okay so with d horse you clip through it and the guy gets stunned as if you trampled him instantly. 
And with a car, one of three things can happen. Either you graze the guy, which we'll get into later because it gets even more glitchy, or it just blows up instantly. Or three, he sort of gets on your um, hood and becomes a hood ornament and doesn't react in any other way. So telling me that an anti-battle gear weapon was carefully balanced and thought out and decided to be cut when you can already do crazy things with battle gears, with, uh, sorry, with walker gears, with just your car or horse, that's bullshit. <laughs> In the first instance, it's the glitchiest one because, and this probably doesn't need to make it into the podcast, I'm just sharing gameplay details for you guys that piss me off. You know how a guy gets wounded and starts like, uh, dying on the ground, uh, like like worming around and, and yeah. slowly dying. Yes, that's what they're supposed to do when they get run over, not dead instantly. If they get run over on the on a Walker gear, though, since they are in that animation that they're they're piloting the Walker gear, they don't have an animation that has them get injured and fall off the Walker gear. No, they just stay on it. They're slowly dying but you don't see it. They're just perfectly fine. You can walk in front of them. They don't attack you. They don't alert. <laughs> they're just standing there, slowly dying. And once their timer is up, you then they fall off out of nowhere. Yeah. So it's these kind of things. And my God, I see every one, every time that I play the game again, I see something new that doesn't make any sense in the in the gameplay yeah, you, as well as in the story. Usually when you describe a Metal Gear like, I see something that I haven't seen before, it's a good thing. But 5 is like the only opposite where it's like, I saw something new and it pissed me off. Uh, let, I have a question. Um, and I, I know we're kind of going in circles here. Um, sure. That's what I do. Do you think they do not sufficiently test Elder Scrolls games? I would not be giving you an informed opinion because I don't touch those games with a 10-foot pole. <laughs> you should try sometime because if MG, if if the Phantom Pain makes you angry, am, you would throw your controller through the window with an Elder I mean, Scrolls game. I know the Bethesda memes and I know the yeah. Fallout memes and the Elder Scrolls memes. Though. But I would never like those games are hilariously broken at times in large part due to how complex they are, because they are trying, you know, God bless them. They are trying to get to that point you talk about where you have a a lived in living open world. That is their that is their goal. And, you know, you know, they again, I've, I've made this comparison twice. You know, they're like Icarus flying close to the sun and they get burned. Yeah, because that's... they can't. They cannot get there. It's we're not there yet, and the engine's just not sophisticated enough to hold it up to that level. Yeah. Because there are so. Because when you can do a million things in an engine, and those million things can all interact with each other, it is impossible to predict what someone's going to do with your engine once it's out of your hands. I don't think that that's. But I yeah. would never say that they do not sufficiently test their games. Maybe in the case of Fallout 76. Like that, okay, just, I'll, I'll, like I'll say that one's broken, but... Okay, <laughs> okay. Uh, just going by the um, perception that I have from just seeing and hearing things around not having played the games, absolutely, they probably don't test them enough. Maybe they do. I'm not yeah, but I mean, person. It's, I don't, we're talking about testing on like... A scale of you would need like ten years. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. You no, have a I game get like it. Like Skyrim and the fans, 
you know, you have you have thousands of fans contributing to fan patches to fix things, and they're still not anywhere close enough to making this game fully stable. Yeah, I mean, you're making my point. I, I keep saying that we do not have the technology to really make an open world game, if you ask me. But I don't think that, well, there's the expectation of the higher standard for Metal Gear in the first place. And that's, that's probably true. not going, that's true. Not, not going anywhere. And secondly, those are big open world choice based games. That's MGS5 for what it brings. I don't think it gets as much of a, a slack for not anticipating what the player can do and not anticipating the player's choices. It does just doesn't bring enough to the table like an RPG open world game does. Oh, I me. agree. I so, just wonder what it speaks yeah. more to. Does it speak more to the complexity of open world games or does it speak more to how little effort they put into bug testing? Because it could go either way. In fact, it may it's go a good both thing. ways. Yeah, in fact, that's that's what my answer was going to be. It's a good thing you mentioned more because it's definitely a little bit of both. If you ask me, it's both. Like they, these people do not have a clue how to make an open world game. An open world game that cannot render more than twelve people and everything has to be deserted because of how the memory is managed is not an open world game. An open world game where the missions are effectively selected from a from a mission list and have their own mission area where nothing you do or almost nothing you do is actually reflected in the world is not an open world game. I'm really puzzled by the structure trying to recreate Peace Walker when Peace Walker was made with obvious limitations in mind of the PSP for a full budget home console game. So I don't know that you can call it an open world game. I know that GTA has something similar. When you start a mission, you can't walk away from it. And that's one of the things that Rockstar is being criticized for. Once you start a mission, you have to do it the way that they want you to do it. Yeah. Otherwise, it's a game over. Yeah. But that also prevents it from breaking too much. That also prevents it from breaking. You have to limit the player. Uh, yeah. But maybe it's because we were spoiled by Ground Zeroes again. In Ground Zeroes, the base is small enough that it feels like... God, that game plays so good. <laughs> yes, the level design in Ground Zeroes is amazing. This base is complex and small enough that it feels like anything you do affects the whole base. And correct me if I'm wrong. That's the feeling I've been getting. If I, if I, yeah, uh, I could draw the, I could draw uh, Camp yeah. Omega like right now. You put a piece of paper in front of me, I could draw it for you. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. OKB zero, not a chance. Uh, OKB zero. You know what? The, the laughable part of it is that all the gates are open. It's a straight line. You literally yeah. waltz in. And it's, and it's still not memorable. Line. Yep, it's not. And, and it's one of those happy areas where they had the happy idea of putting more than 12 people and the game breaks beyond recognition. And it's just hilarious the way that the game breaks if you do certain things. And like you said, it will take 10 years to test any and all of those things that the players can do. But for what the game brings in terms of um, level design and the way that they want you to approach missions. Yes, there's many ways, but at the end of the day, you're not really motivated to do anything other than sneaking around and shooting people in the face with a tranquilizer. Um, for what it brings, I think that in the context of those things, they should have tested more. Maybe not the 10 years you were talking about, but also maybe not a ridiculously, to me, laughable lack of... Um, just you know details and anticipating what the players could do 
there is an in-between that I think is justifiable that they can't test everything. Because like I said, even older games, non-open world games, if you want to get into trouble with glitches, you can do that. Uh, but you have to go out of your way to do it. Uh, often MGS5 for me will do it itself without me trying to. So for how ridiculously small the areas are that you cannot walk past, and how essentially the, the story happens on a different plane of existence in MGS5 than what the player actually sees in the game, I cannot justify not having tested simple things such as Kaz telling you to destroy your own stuff or stealing your own vehicles or, you know, all those reuse assets and wrong lines and glitches and missing features such as just how you hold people up and shoot their radios and whatnot. Uh, let's not get into the gun details. <laughs> I, I, could, I could say, go on for ages. I was going to say, you're about to hit that cliff, man. And that's that's okay. Stop me. But we want to make sure that we get all our questions in, if that's cool. I know, I know, I know, I know. You can this is, this is my fault. I take full responsibility. It's, it's, always, it's always Nitroid's fault. And he worries that he's just the meme guy. Like I'm like, no, you yeah. like spark people's brains and shit. All right, anyways. I yeah, um, I'll shut up about it now. No, you're good. You're good. Um, yeah, we did actually, you know, we did want to ask you a bit about MGO2. Um, yes, please do. You know, I always joke about Nitroid. It's so funny because I'm like trying to get a hold of my PlayStation 3 to give this a shot. And Nitroid's sitting there with the ability to play. And he's just like, well, I'm not going to play this. And it's like. You know what? <laughs> you know what? And it's if like you some people it working... are so, so special. So spoiled, but no. Um, oh my god! <clears throat> this is a question look, I had for look, you, actually. I will, I will, I will say this. Okay, if you can get it working, and we can get enough people that we know, then I will, uh, I will hop on. All right. I think that's easily. Yeah, doable. that's definitely doable. But yeah, that's what I've been wondering. Days like, does Nitroid actually bar you from playing because you express interest in it, but he says that you can't? No, or... this is this is exclusively my dumb hangup. Oh yeah. Okay, well, okay. no. What, what's happening was they originally got sort of they got gave me sort of the lowdown on the whole Save MGO project, and I'm like, okay, that that's great. Like, you know, wanna let like wanna like do something with it, like make content with it, and Nitroid's like, well. I don't know. <laughs> what was it like again? <laughs> I sound like that. Then my PS3 broke out of nowhere. Yeah, and then and then Fingers' PlayStation 3 broke. And since then, like, you know, I've kind of seen like the scene sort of here and out. Like like I talk to people who play the game about other games and then I learn by osmosis. But then like I made that joke about Nitroid. And then you, but because you mentioned that you were going to start streaming it, and then you had talked about this sort of like effort or initiative to kind of open up MGO2 more. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if I'm interpreting that right, but we were just kind of curious at, at like sort of what you meant. And if you've explained this on your stream, I'm, I'm sorry I wasn't paying attention. That's okay. I don't expect people to remember every single thing that I say on stream because I'm the one who keeps repeating it. You don't have to be there all the time. Um, no, I mean, it's really simple. Uh, to me, MGO2 is a way to diversify the stream, include 
um, the viewers more with interaction on stream and sort of take a break from the, the regular schedule that we always have of the story runs and challenges and everything. Because mm-hmm. honestly, I mean, when you do as much as I do, I think it gets, I, I do get burned out a little bit. Um, so it's just that, you know, back in the day I tried it and I liked it and I learned all the little features and details about it. I learned the sad reality of the net code um, <laughs> behind it. And I've actually, I was pretty excited when I found out about the Save MGO um, project. And back in the day, it required you to actually hack your PS3. So it, could, it wasn't something I could ask people to do on stream to join, uh, there's a legality of it and there's a, just a technical aspect of it that most people won't bother with. Uh, but since then, they've made it a lot easier. Mm-hmm. So I'm always brainstorming and always thinking, what kind of Metal Gear content can I bring to the channel? Some new challenge, some new game, some new, you know, different version of something. Yeah, and I was mentioning that to 3 Dog. Like, you guys always seem to figure out a way to increase that engagement, even if it's just, like, donations, like the save Meryl versus, like, kill Meryl type stuff. That's, yeah, that's a really amazing thing that our supporters chose to do themselves. It started as a... Um, I don't know if it started as a joke or not being serious about it in the chat. And they, they made it a thing almost every single time that we play them. Just once somebody will start <laughs> That's awesome. that donation war and we do not prompt it. I, <laughs> we want some, you know, maybe it's a little bit of humility also that you're getting, sometimes you're getting these huge donations for going over the game and playing a game. Um, so it's, to me, it's important that it's a spontaneous thing that came from the chat that we don't push for. Uh, I do feel like people can choose to do whatever they want with their money and they see value in what we do. We are humbled by it. Yeah, man. I think it's well earned, you know, like you got, like, you know, like you said, you're, you're out here just about every day, you know, just doing these streams and, you know, it, it takes a lot out of you. Like, it, you know, to, to, it's not just sitting there playing games. Yeah, like it, it, it is involved and you're sitting there reading the chat and, you know, it's, it's, it's draining. So, don't think that uh you know it's not it's not worth it or anything like that you know it's it's well deserved so you guys you guys are killing it man Outer Heaven Network you know agreed y'all y'all bring good shit to the table so thank you thank you I'm glad I started seeing Stream Metal Gear games uh, more and more as a as a mission and a sort of continuation of you know wanting to to pass on the series and to interpret the series and to keep it relevant keep it on the internet keep it alive. Um, we were lucky enough to, to be the biggest channel on Twitch to do so. Uh, there's others, of course. Uh, we're lucky enough to have this community backing us. And I don't know exactly how much of a dent we put in it, uh, in keeping things alive, but we do seem to get people who come and join, stay and enjoy the stream. Um, and I'm, I've started doing it mostly for fun and i thought it was good at the games i wanted to show off that's what I, all i thought twitch was about back in the day uh, or i should say justin tv yeah um but with time and the more and more analysis coming from the games and learning things and wanting to share things i see it more of a more as a mission now to keep the series alive and and it's messed up because I want to pass on the series, but I don't quite 
claim to be, you know, in Kojima's position or anything. However, I do imagine how it must have felt being unable to develop anything else because I'm also basically unable to play anything else on my channel. Um, so there's that parallel there that's quite interesting. We're all locked in with Metal Gear. It's like we're like eternal prisoners of this fucking series. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Like if you if you look at my list of backlog games and other games that I play, it's it's ridiculous. I have things from like two thousand five still there. Um, if I it, you know you used to have different channels and things, but um, I really want to take OHN to whatever level I possibly can. So if I stream something else, and I I feel that it it takes away more than it would give me as a personal satisfaction playing other games, even though there are other games that I play. Yeah. Uh, people come in with that expectation. And I, I think I understand how Kojima felt. I, I want to develop other games, but I, people expect me to make Metal Gear. <laughs> uh, it's, it's an interesting parallel. Um, but yeah, it's it's now a mission. Screw with them. Play police nuts. <laughs> oh yeah, you're going to get maybe that 10-20% of people excited about it, recognizing it. And 80% will be like, what the fuck is this? Introducing them to a, to a new game they never heard and they might enjoy, they might think is weird as shit. Yeah. So. Eat your vegetables. This is a metal gear. <laughs> well, hey, DRK, we appreciate you coming on the show. Uh, if you want to plug where people can find you online and watch your streams, you can go ahead with that. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Twitch.tv slash Outer Heaven. We're glad to always welcome new people. And you're most likely going to learn something new about the games or see in a different way, share things, opinions with people. And we hope to to keep the series alive and relevant and it's become a mission, like I said. So hope to see you guys there. Oh, and of course, check out Three Dog as well. He is my partner in all of this. Right now we're doing marathons on both of our channels. So you'll be seeing me on his channel as well. He'll be streaming on Outer Heaven as well. Uh, we take turns each month. We'll do prolonged marathons with all the games and all that good stuff. So make sure you check him out as well at twitch.tv slash three dog. Two G's at the end. And yeah. Hey man, thanks for coming on the show, man. We really appreciate awesome, it. Man. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks, dude. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.